0: Good morning, everyone. If you would turn with me in um, your Bibles to 2 John, we'll be looking at um, 2 John this morning. We're looking at the first six verses of Second John, and then Joe, as Jacob has said, will bring us the second half next week. But as we familiarize ourselves with it, let's read it together. <clears throat> I'll read, and you follow along. It's 13 verses, so... I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I'm writing you a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, and those who do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son." If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. The Lord's word is powerful I'm sure you will be familiar with a famous cover of Vanity Fair magazine a few years back. The cover had Caitlyn Jenner on it, and at first glance, the image appears to be one of a beautiful woman, displaying an almost cartoonish femininity in her posture and even the attire she's wearing. But on further investigation, Even a masterful surgical transformation, and no doubt top-rate hairstylist and makeup artist, one notices that something is missing, or it's hidden in the image. Caitlyn was posed intentionally to hide her hands, very large, masculine hands, in fact. You see, had the reader seen all of Caitlyn Jenner, they would have been reminded of the truth The truth that Caitlin, although her name has been changed, was indeed born, created, and lived as Bruce Jenner, Olympic gold medal athlete, father, husband, not this sexualized, glamorous, surgically altered image that's on the cover of this women's magazine. The truth would have been evident if you had seen all of the image of her the truth of his male gender would have been recognized the truth of what he would have what he was would have been obvious unfortunately truth is often disguised or hidden from us it's not always known is it the knowledge of the truth is powerful true knowledge enables us to action it enables us to walk in christ's commands and it enables us to love one another. Our passage opens in 2 John with a bit of mystery. Unlike most of the other apostles in the New Testament, the author appears to shield his identity and addresses the letter to what at first glance seems to be a special woman, a mother even. How fitting that we're talking about a letter written to a mother and her children on Mother's Day. Did he know her? Was she a patron of his? Did she support his ministry in some way? The author even gives her a qualifying distinction. She's not just any old uh, woman, but she is actually the elect lady. He gives her a title. Well, our author has what appears to be two addressees in his letter. But actually, it's a single audience with two descriptions. In fact, our author, whose name is in the very name of the book, is writing to a church. Scripture often identifies the church as the body of Christ, doesn't he? Or as, sorry, as the bride of Christ, or his bride. So that it would be natural for John to address his letter to a woman, taking that analogy even a bit further. The members of that congregation are the woman's children. Thus, we get the elect lady and her children as our author's cleverly addressed audience. Well, what do we know about our author? What do we know about John? Beloved by Jesus, appointed caretaker of Jesus' mother, Mary. John was an apostle in the early church, later exiled to the Isle of Patmos, eyewitness to the returning of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. John is the author of five books in the Bible, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. He is the second most published author in the New Testament, after Paul. John's themes often run to the ideas of truth, love, and keeping the master's commands. So we know who our audience is, and we see clearly who our author is, Well, let's look at what he's trying to get across today, and hopefully that will be clear by the end. We're going to look at three different points. What is truth? How do we walk in Christ's commands? And why is love so necessary? And hopefully by the end, it'll be clear how the knowledge of truth enables us to walk in His commands and love one another. So, let's begin by saying, what is truth? Well, truth is foundational to all that's important, isn't it? Without the knowledge of what is true, all that is built, both physical and, un- and, and metaphorically, would collapse. Along the mid-Atlantic coast, there's a series of barrier islands separate, that, that separate the, the powerful Atlantic from the um, intercoastal waterway. Those islands extend from uh, southern Virginia all the way down to Georgia. And some of you may have visited some of the more famous ones, the Outer Banks or Hilton Head, are examples of those those islands. Um, They're two of the more well-known ones. If you have, you would have seen the typical construction style on those islands. And that typical construction style is that most of the houses are built up on stilts, aren't they? Um, Obviously, in those very precarious locations, foundations are important. What the stilts are anchored into is crucial. If the foundation is not laid correctly, if the stilts are not planted deeply and strongly, the structure that is built on top of it will ultimately weaken, crack, and come apart, which, is, which would have a disastrous result, wouldn't it? Those houses, those structures would be uh, falling into the sea. Some of you may have seen that, uh, that very thing, especially um, we've seen that in our family when visiting that area after Hurricane Matthew, the destruction that can happen when the the foundation is not solid. So, what is this foundational truth, according to John, that is knowable, abiding, and forever? Let's look at our passage. If you look um, at the beginning of, of 2 John, verses 1, John says, I love in truth all who know the truth. He says he rejoices because the children are walking in truth. Well, what is this truth that John seems to be going on about? <clears throat> well, truth as a term has come to be used and is considered relative these days, isn't it? What's true for you may not be true for me. Um, what was true 50 years ago may not be true today. Two examples of that which are, are um, bantered around a lot are the idea of climate change. That's one example. You know, some scientists say that it is a definite phenomenon that is happening, and then you could find other scientists that, that will refute that idea that climate change is just a myth. Another thing uh, that I alluded to at the very beginning was the idea of gender, it's something that is under attack. The truth that one is born male and or female is not necessarily recognized as absolute truth today. Does my physical body dictate what is true or is it my mind that decides what is true? And can it change from day to day? Can truth be altered? Can it be shifting day in and day out? Well, according to the woman on the front of that magazine, Caitlyn Jenner, she would say that truth is relative. Yes, it can be altered. The world would have us believe that truth, all truth, is relative. It's not possible to know absolute truth, concrete, foundational, in any concrete foundational sense. What truth is? Well, John, in our passage today, would say otherwise. He does here in our passage. John says that truth is knowable, is constant, and is eternal. All who know the truth because the truth abides in us and will be with us forever." In other words, there is a set of people who can and did and do know truth. They lived, they were real, they had physical contact and interaction with John. He goes on to say, because truth abides, now if something abides it's constant, it's fixed in place. And then finally, this idea that truth is eternal, John puts forth by saying, will be forever. Truth will be forever. In other words, words, it's eternal. Truth is not ceasing, going away, or changing in any way. And the truth that John speaks of is none other than Jesus himself. That is the physical historical Jesus who has come in the flesh. John is using a shorthand here when he's writing to the church, quoting something that Jesus had previously said about himself earlier in John's writings. In the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself as the truth. Not only does Jesus say he is the truth, but he says he can be known. And by knowing him, we can know the Father. By Jesus saying he is the truth, and by John writing it here in the, uh, to the church, he's saying that same thing, we can go back and read this passage again. In fact, uh, let's do that, replacing the word truth for the name of Christ, and it becomes even more powerful. <clears throat> so, if we do that little exercise, look at First. Uh, Verse 1 with me. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in Christ Jesus. And not only I, but also all who know Jesus. Because of Christ who abides in us and will be with us forever. So as he's saying, he and we can replace those two words, truth and Jesus. They are In some some essence, one in the same. Thus, that is the foundation by which John is talking about. You see, John knows the truth. John knew Jesus intimately. All the others in this passage also know the truth. With Jesus as the one who John knew, and as he says, abides in all who know him, and that he would be forever, he is the foundation of truth and it has been none other than Jesus himself. Not only is Jesus the foundational truth, but even more that gospel that he came in the flesh to give life through his sacrifice on the cross for all who have sinned against God. That is the foundational truth, which is what John is getting at here. In John 17, 8, Jesus says, for I have given them, and he's having a dialogue with the Father, he's saying, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So they've believed on that foundation. The gospel, the life-giving sacrifice of Christ on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins is undeniably true, and Jesus is Is the personification of that truth. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because if we have knowledge of the truth, that enables us to walk in His commands. That leads us to our second question, how do we walk in Christ's commands? John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father." Now, he says here, some of your children, and he's addressing the whole congregation. I wouldn't get hung up on, on some, as, a, as if some of them are and some of them aren't. Um, it may be that John has just encountered some of the people from this congregation. He's happened upon them uh, in, in another location. But in essence, he has seen that these people who he's writing to are walking in the Lord's commands. We know that this command is not new. In fact, it is from the beginning. Whether John means from the beginning, for when they first came to Christ um, and began to follow Jesus, or from the beginning, when the Lord called Israel, as we read from Leviticus, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that God has said it. God has given the command. He has not only said it to his people, but he has made it an imperative. When someone is commanded to do something, it's not a, eh, it would be nice, or if you have time, please, or um, if it's not too much bother kind of statement. This is an imperative. It's a command. John is saying here, because of the foundation of the truth of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that knowable, abiding truth, we can now obey his commands. Because we are forgiven of our sins through the sacrifice of Jesus, we have the pleasure and delight to walk in the commands that he has given us. We can now walk in the truth and not to do so would be foolish. Unfortunately, not all know the truth, not all follow his commands and thus, they actually are in rebellion against God. They're in opposition to him, and the consequence of that opposition is death. Scripture is very clear about that. If anyone is not willing to follow his commands, then death will follow. They will experience darkness and separation from God. Now, if that is you today, if there's someone here who would like to know the source of this life-giving obedience, the freedom of forgiveness of sin, then and have their heart inclined to walk in his commands, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to, to talk to you and explain that to you more, or talk to Jacob or someone who's been up here in front. Not walking in the commands, unfortunately, looks like death. In our passage from Leviticus that Peter read for us early, earlier, we can get a glimpse of what walking in the commands looks like. It looks like food for the poor. It looks like a world where justice is done. It looks like standing up for someone who is being opposed. It looks like giving someone the benefit of the doubt regardless of the color of their skin. It looks like creating a fair work environment in your company. It looks like bearing with one another's burdens and not bearing grudges. It looks like sacrifice. And Jim, Jesus demonstrates that on the cross for us, he himself shows us obedience to the Father's commands to take, by taking our sin upon himself. John also demonstrates what it means to follow Christ's commands. At the foot of the cross, John actually receives a command from Jesus that would be life-changing, that would alter his years ahead. From the cross, Jesus directs John to take care of his mother. At that time, that would have been no small thing. That request would have potentially been costly for John, taking in another family member and one of his own mother's stature would have meant he would have to care for her throughout and through the end of her life. That would have had a sacrificially heavy weight on John, both emotionally and emotionally and financially that would have burdened him greatly. John starts off his ministry at the foot of the cross loving another, loving another who is not of his flesh and blood as commanded by Jesus himself, fulfilling, as as commanded by Jesus, while Jesus himself fulfills the command by his father of loving painstakingly taking the wrath of God on himself, the cross. So let me just reiterate that. John begins his earthly ministry loving someone who is not of his flesh and blood as he obeys the command of Christ. And Christ himself fulfills the command of his Father by lovingly and painstakingly taking on the wrath of God for all he loved. Both Jesus and John are demonstrating what it means to follow his commands. Because John knew the truth, he obediently walks in Jesus' commands and he takes Mary into his home as his own mother and he loved her. What does it look like to walk in his commands? To walk in God's commands, it looks like life. It looks like love. A knowledge of the truth enables us to walk in his commands to love one another. As Jesus has loved us, so we must love one another. This leads us to our third question, why is love necessary? In essence, why does love really matter? If we're obedient as John was, as Jesus was, if we do as we're told by God, if we carry out his commands to the letter of the law, why is love that important? Or to put it in another way, what's love got to do with it? If you are of a certain age, you might remember a pop star named Tina Turner and some of her texts. What's love got to do with it? What's love just but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do with it? What's love but a sweet old fashioned notion? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken. Unlike Tina Turner, John says it's a whole lot, it has a whole lot to do with it. In fact, he says it four times in our short passage, John loves, the father and the son love, we love, and love is defined in action. John the Apostle, disciple to Jesus, eyewitness to all that Jesus has said and done and will do, author of Revelation, starts his letter to the church by telling them he loves them. And not only does he love them, which is powerful enough, but he says to say that you love someone who you may not have met or haven't seen for a long time is a real blessing. It's a blessing because often with distance or the passing of time, we might wonder if love diminishes or if we've been forgotten. But John makes it clear here he has not forgotten them. He still loves and with a deep and abiding love, with a true love that has a single source. Real love is not something that we should take for granted It's not something that we should say flippantly. Unfortunately, we have come to use love in such a flippant way. It has lost a lot of its meaning. I love country music. I love a good meal. I love my dog. Well, none of those uses of love carry the weight that John ascribes to it in our passage. In the body of Christ, that must be different. We must mean something different by our love, and that is what John is pointing to. Real love is rooted in truth. Real love is sacrificial. Real love is modeled perfectly by Jesus. This love is not based on a whim or a feeling or even a romantic attraction. It's grounded in truth, the truth that we've seen already, who is Jesus Christ. None of those things, a whim, a feeling, attraction, will last. A whim is here today, gone tomorrow. Feelings are subjective and usually based on what you've done for me or how I feel about you recently. And attraction, well, we all get older and attraction fades, doesn't it? Some of us anyway. John's love for the lady and her children is deep. His love for them is why he's writing to them. Do you get that? His love and the love of the others who he's with, because he includes them in, in the extension of the love to, to this congregation, the people he's writing from. For the church that he's writing is the outworking of the command built on the foundation of truth. Christ is the true foundation. His command is still in place, and the outworking of that command is to love one another. John makes it clear that we are to love one another here in our local congregation of Loudon Valley Baptist Church, but also we're meant to love one another in the larger body of Christ. We we can see that because he's writing his letter to a local congregation, but he's writing from um, another another group, another body. So clearly there is love that goes beyond a, a finite set of people in one location. Loving one another is going to involve sacrifice and often being misunderstood and will likely result in getting our feelings hurt. But that is no less reason to press on in love, is it? Remember John taking in Mary, which was costly. Jesus said that if you love me, you will keep my commands. To say that another way, if we love one another as we have been commanded, we are literally expressing our love for Christ, but this won't be easy. We see from the earthly church, or from the early church that they had conflicts with each other. There was infighting amongst each other. They had disagreements, their hearts got broken, and yet they persevered. Another curious thing that John does in this letter is that he places us in an unbreakable family situation, a family relationship. For some of us, that might not be a good cause for celebration. Our families may be broken, they may be hard or even non-existent. The idea of being in a family might be actually discouraging and possibly even a little frightening. For believers, this should be different. And only with the power of Christ and his sacrificial love and the fact that he calls us to be brothers and, by implication, his sisters, can we even consider there might be joy in being part of a family. We have an immediate family of brothers and sisters when we join a local congregation. And then we have a larger, very much larger family of cousins, don't we? across the globe, around the world. John John not only talks about how a relationship should be built on love, but he gives a clear example of how we are able to relate to one another in that love. We are to relate to each other as a family would. You can't pick your family. You can't choose who you share blood with. If you will remember, John says, he loves the church and the people in it, that he is writing to, but do a whole, so do a whole bunch of other people, people his readers may not know or may never have met, people who live in a different location. We see at the end of the letter in verse 13, John sends greetings of the people who are children of your elect sister, in other words, those who he is with in another con- congregation John often personifies congregations that he's writing to or writing about. In Revelation, he calls the church the bride of Christ. If the church is the bride, it is only natural that he refers to her as a lady and the individual members as a lady's children. Even Christ calls his followers little children. And again, which would only be too natural for the bride and the bridegroom to have children who love and who love one another. John takes that familial metaphor even further and refers to the church he is writing to from as the sister of the lady who he's addressing in our passage, thus making those two women uh, sisters and their children cousins to one another, aren't they? It's undeniable that we are bound together in a familial bond, a bond that cannot be broken because we are of one family. Well, the ultimate outworking of knowing and walking and loving in the truth is something Paul says, or John says, sorry, here in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace. And that outworking comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, and he says that those three things, grace, mercy, and peace, will be with us. Danny Aiken calls these three truths companions. They're companions to truth. Grace, mercy, and peace are truth's companions. Grace is God doing for what us, for us what we do not deserve, unmerited favor and divine kindness. Mercy is God not doing for us what we do deserve. God's compassion, pity, and tenderness. And peace is personal wholeness and well-being in all aspects of life. In our passage, John promises that these three will be with us as good gifts from the Father and the Son. LVBC, Loudon Valley Baptist Church, this means for us that Jesus is our foundation of truth. Our lives must be built on truth, the truth of the gospel. To do that, we have to know the truth. To know the truth, we have to spend time in God's word. We have to gather with God's people to stand, and we have to stand in the gap when truth is questioned and speak truth to one another and to those outside. It may mean that we even have to face opposition To the truth at home or at work, in the classroom, we have to seek his face and know Jesus intimately. It means walking in Christ's commands, his life-giving commands. We must walk in his commandments, we must walk in his ways according to his commands as an expression of our love for him. We cannot be silent to injustice, we cannot turn a blind eye to those who are opposed or who are oppressed or mistreated. We must seek forgiveness and put away grudges. We must confess our sin to one another and to the Lord himself. We must be willing to sacrifice to follow his commands because he demonstrates the greatest sacrifice anyone could ever make on our behalf. And finally, this means that love is necessary because he has knit us together into a family We are moved to love one another. It is not legitimate for us to be islands alone, unengaged. We are part of a family, the family of God, who serves one another, cares for one another, cries with and upholds one another, loves one another, even if it's inconvenient, costly, and painful. So let's pray to that end. Lord God, we ask you to give us a rich, full, peace-filled knowledge of your truth. Enable us to walk in your commands, to love one another deeply, sacrificially, unfailingly. Lord, we pray that we would know this, this truth and that it would impact our lives this week. Lord, we ask that you would guide us as we seek to walk in your commands. And Lord, we pray that we would sacrificially love one another this week. In Christ's name, amen.